Hello, this is Alex Granado, senior reporter for Education NC, and you're listening to Ed Talk. Today I'm talking with Lieutenant Governor Dan Forrest, and we're talking about education technology, how technology is changing education in K-12 and beyond. Lieutenant Governor Dan Forrest, thank you for being here. Alex, thanks for talking to me today. And so this has been one of the hallmarks of your tenure as Lieutenant yeah. Governor. Tell me how you got into it. How did you get interested in this subject? Well, I think I just have a kind of a deep-seated personal interest. I'm a kind of a tech geek at heart in a lot of ways, so that you know that drives some of it. But I think it's more about the need that's out there. And when you start traveling around the state and you realize you know, that you live in a um, highly technological state with places like the RTP that are at the epicenter of what's going on in the world from a technological standpoint, and then you see the digital gap that exists between that and uh, what's going on in education out there is, is actually quite shocking to me when I discovered that. You know, I mean, I think we all you know remember the day ten years ago anyway when we would demand that we had some kind of high speed connectivity at Starbucks when we were you know working in that third place, and uh, we haven't demanded that in schools. And then this this past year, we finally uh, made that leap. We became the first state in the country, as you know, to have every single classroom connected to high speed broadband. That was a a good first step. I mean, that's a kind of a basis level of where we need to be as we move forward. Uh, but it's really about looking out in the world and seeing what's going on and seeing the opportunity out there. I mean, it's, it's really pretty unbelievable to think that we're just on the cusp of, you know, super fast speed connectivity around the world to connect billions of devices to connect uh, driverless cars. And someday you're going to have, you know, a flying transportation of some sort and all those networks are going to have to be developed. And, and even here in America, you know, now that the, the federal government has said, you know, we're going to kind of put a halt on the money that gets invested in places like Huawei and ZTE in China, who are developing that technology, you're going to have folks like Cisco that are headquartered right here or, you know, on the east coast of uh, North Carolina, that they, they have a, a significant presence here in RTB, and they're going to need people to fill those jobs, right? And so what are we providing in our schools? So technology is a really interesting subject because in, in many other kind of uh, burgeoning industries, you know, there's kind of the growth period where everybody's getting to know how this thing works and then it kind of settles into a plateau and people yeah. figure it out. But there kind of isn't that with technology because it changes so rapidly. Yeah. Um, so can you talk about some of the challenges you've seen just over your tenure kind of dealing with those changes and trying to get this stuff implemented in education? Well, I think that was really the reason that we created the digital learning plan for North Carolina was because we have seen uh, computers, you know, laptops or iPads, these things in classrooms for a long time. And if the teachers don't know how to use them, if they haven't been trained effectively to use them, if they don't have the content and curriculum, you don't have the high speed broadband, you don't, you know, there's so many things that need to fall into place in the right order to make all of these things effective. And then as you don't have all those things in place, technology, like you said, is changing daily. And so what happens is you keep buying new hardware year over year without having you know, the tools in place to be able to use that hardware. And people go, well, I guess it's really not that important after all. Um, so I think what we needed to do was put things in their right order. And that's what the digital learning plan did. We said we need to have connectivity, the right amount of connectivity in every classroom. And, and so we made the effort to do that. You know, we worked with our legislature here. We worked with uh, the FCC to garner another $65 million. From then we had about $100 million a year going into classroom connectivity in North Carolina. That's a big deal. That's what allowed us to be first in that effort. And then we said, you know, we need to uh, make sure that we have the content, the curriculum uh, uh, for the 
teachers available to them and stored and housed in a place where they know how to access it and then know how to use it. So they need to have training to do that. And you put all those things in place and then you get to the hardware. (laughs) We've had the model really backwards. And so when you look at the rapid change in technology, we were changing with the technology and people were purchasing technology, just didn't have the tools to use the technology. And so I've heard you talk about this before, and correct me if I if I uh, mischaracterize it, but I've heard you talk about the last mile, which yeah. I believe. So we're getting connectivity to our classrooms, but then kids go home, yeah. and you know if they're working on things that are you know digital focused, some of those kids may have access to technology at home to the internet, some yeah. may not. So talk a little bit about that. Well, I think we're finally at that place where uh, I think technology's caught up to the conversation a little bit, where it's becoming more affordable to actually connect the last mile. And you you see uh, uh, more options out there now than we've ever seen before. We have to say that it's not impossible, right? I mean, we know that it's possible to do it. What's what's right for North Carolina? The mountains are obviously very different than the rural coastal plain in North Carolina and how you're going to connect the last mile down east compared to out west are, are two completely different strategies and we need to allow our, our counties to uh, be able to make those decisions for themselves i think we've seen in wilkes county uh, the ability to connect the last mile in a, in a mountainous rural county they've done it uh, so we can really do it anywhere right and there's we're going to look at different options across the state i think the state itself will have responsibility and, and probably some skin in the game related to the infrastructure so help with the infrastructure like we did with connecting the schools, but uh, you know, municipal broadband and these things have generally been a failure across the country through the years. We've seen that in Chattanooga, you know, no competition, prices through the roof, and everybody's like, we don't use it because it's too expensive and it doesn't run effectively. So we don't want to do that. We don't want the government getting involved at that level, but help lay the infrastructure groundwork in places where um, the Verizons, the AT&Ts of the world, Comcast of the world, will now find a competitive advantage to come into those markets and provide uh, broadband to these rural communities. You know, we, we can... We can fly drones halfway across the world through satellite uh, uh, broadband to make that happen. We can certainly connect our people right here in North Carolina. So we're, we're making that effort. The federal government's put some skin in the game as well. The Trump administration gave uh, funds to um, Department of Agriculture, to, to Secretary Purdue, and they're distributing those funds to the governors around the state to, to play this game as well. So I think it's going to be in short order that we're going to see that happen. And education is often a divisive topic when when it comes to politics, and that's true in North Carolina too, but when it comes to digital learning and getting technology into classrooms, North Carolina has been relatively on the same ground, uh, of of the same mind on the topic, and uh, it seems like as a result we've become a leader in in digital technology in classrooms. Why why do you think this topic is, is one that brings everybody together? Well, we live in a technologically advanced state. I think you have places like the RTV, you have the university system, you know, that uh, obviously helps in in that regard, too. We have a lot of bright minds that, um, you know, are working in our metropolitan areas in the technology sector. Charlotte is the fastest growing technology city in the country right now, which is somewhat hard to believe. You'd think it would be the RTP, but it's actually Charlotte. Uh, So I think there's a lot of people that have a lot of um, interest in this because of that. You know, on the business community especially, they need to um, supply workers for 
their company. So they're willing to engage, uh, putting skin in the game, if you will, for, you know, from their perspective as well. So I think that's part of it. But uh, this has been going on for a long time in North Carolina. This is not something that's new. You know, we've we've kind of championed it here over the last six years. But you can go back 15 years and see people that were working on this MCNC getting the the uh, fiber loop uh, connected to our universities and then to our schools and and now to the classrooms and and there have been people that have been passionate about this. You mentioned uh, earlier Governor Purdue and uh, that you're doing a segment with her. I mean, she was uh, early adopter as well of, of seeing the need to make this happen. Uh, here in North Carolina, and we've become a leader. If folks like the Friday Institute uh, have been uh, played an integral role in that, and um, it's great to have a partner like that involved as well that can uh, can carry some of the load. So it, it seems like education in the United States, the public education system, has looked very similar for a very long time. But it seems like with the adoption of some of this technology, that's finally starting to change. Is that your perception of what's happening as well? Yeah, it's my perception. Uh, you know, I, when we go out there, we, we tend to visit a lot of the innovative schools. So you're kind of visiting the poorer schools that really don't have these things. And then you're visiting the, the you know, really innovative schools. You really see the difference in these schools that have um, uh, computer science, true computer science classes. I'm sure we'll talk about that as well as things like robotics clubs, you know, first the first program. Um, we had Dean Kamen sat right here and then the office with us a couple weeks ago and was talking about the first program and watching that grow in a place like North Carolina. When you walk in and you meet with these kids that are really doing computer science when they're putting, when they're building robots and, and for competitions and that sort of thing, this is like a sport. This is like a football team, you know, and, and you have faculty and parents and, and these kids that gather around and when they go off to those competitions, you'd think they're going to play in the Super Bowl. I mean, that's, that's the look on their faces. They're energized. They're excited. They're excited about going to school every day. They can uh, equate what they're learning in school to what they want to do with their life, you know, and if you think about that across the spectrum of education over the last handful of decades, the reason that most students drop out is they go, I don't see how this applies to what I want to do for the rest of my life. So they drop out and they go, they go start working. And so now I really feel like we have the ability, not just through computer science, but uh, through, you know, uh, the types of one-to-one -one learning initiatives that we have out there, personalized learning initiatives that teachers can implement in the classroom, we have the ability for students to get excited about what they're learning and, and make it apply to their life. And so you mentioned computer science there, and, and technology and education is an interesting thing because one aspect of it is using technology to just educate students and, you know, the things students have always been educated in. Yeah. But then another aspect of it is educating them kind of for the jobs of tomorrow because technology mm -hmm. is not just something we use, it's something we end up working on. Uh, you know, yeah. professionally. Um, yeah. So talk a little bit about how our schools are, are trying to prepare students for that future. Well, that's an interesting uh, conversation. Uh, about a year and a half ago, um, we kind of made, we didn't make the discovery, but I found out, <laughs> you know, I was traveling around a lot of schools as we do every week like you do and, uh, you know, visiting with computer science teachers and saying, what are you teaching? And a lot of them would literally say things like, well, I'm, you know, I teach Word and PowerPoint and Excel and, you know, that's kind of their computer science class. And those were the tools they'd been given to, to do that. And we're like, wow, well, that's, you know, that's a far cry from what your students are going to need. Those are kind of the basics, you know, for administrative tasks and we all need them, uh, but that's not computer science. And so it kind of set us into motion to try to figure out what, what are we really doing in North Carolina? And we discovered that we had at the time about 20 teachers that were actually qualified, certified teachers to teach computer science in the whole state of North Carolina, uh, which then set us on a path to start working with folks like Apple and code.org and others to say, what do we need to do here? And other states were actually far in advance of us and in, in, in 
actually doing this. Arkansas, for example, was you know way far out in front. And so uh, we set this path to say we need to make sure that we have computer science in every school in North Carolina. And you know the way that works. And so you've met with them, and you know they don't have to have computer science uh, uh, actually professionals teaching the classes. They train teachers. You could be a PE teacher. You could be a math teacher. You could be a science teacher teaching computer science in the classrooms because they're help, they're really facilitators of the, the curriculum that a code.org or an Apple or those folks put together at all different kinds of grade levels. And so we're on this rapid pathway now to make sure that we have a teacher in every class. Uh, that's one way to do that, and, and we're doing that. We got some funding from the General Assembly, about $500,000 to start that process, which is good. We need a lot more, but that's a good start. And then um, from, from that uh, starting point, uh, then you have to say, what is computer science? You know, is it is it a math? Is it a science? Should it be offered as a credit uh, instead of just an elective? Because you know the competition to get into to universities now is so high that students aren't taking uh, freebie electives. You know, they they may want to take a computer science class, but if it's not going to bump their GPA up uh, and have an honors you know class associated with or an AP class, whatever, then they're not going to take it. And so we have across all across our state, we have seniors in high school that are going off to college, and in very competitive college environments that have never had a computer science class. So they're not going to go into computer science field because they're already years behind. And uh, that's just wrong. That's backwards. We have, I think, 25,000 computer science jobs right now in North Carolina. 25,000 openings for computer science jobs. Billions of dollars worth of salaries waiting to be filled in our state. And we're sending students off to college with uh, no access to those in high school. And so we need to change that pretty rapidly. So it's kind of daunting to try to imagine what education is going to look like in the future, particularly with the rapid state, rapid evolution of technology. But as somebody who's at the forefront of digital learning and kind of uh, seeing how that can be integrated into schools, where do you see educate? What do you see education <laughs> looking like going um, forward? Well, I always ask a couple of questions. I, I take this back to my architecture days because when I was practicing architecture, we were we did a lot of schoolwork, so we were always designing the school of the future and what did the school of the future look like long before technology even, but with this kind of you know mindset out there that this was going to happen someday. And the interesting thing is, for the most part schools kind of looked the same. You know, you'd have some different gathering spaces and the way students would sit in beanbag chairs and, you know, with laptops open and those kind of things. But there were still schools. And I think what you're going to see is you're, I think you're going to see some disruptive change in the design of schools. And, you know, if you're, you're in places like Wake County and Mecklenburg County, land is scarce, right? You, the population's growing, but to find uh, 50 acres to build a school, that's just not possible anymore. So they're going to have to change their mindset. The whole paradigm about what a, what a high school is or what a middle school is is going to be very different in the future. And technology, I think, is going to drive a lot of that as well. I think you're going to uh, find a, a lot more instances where um, you're going to have kind of just-in-time learning you know, environments where students don't hang out in the same place all day long. They may go to their home high school for a period of time, and then they may travel and work in a company for a period of time, and then they may go do something else, and it may be a cycle. You know, you think about what things like driverless cars uh, add to the equation when you're talking about public transportation or school transportation. Uh, it changes changes everything, right? And this, these are things that are happening now. They're not really future. They are happening. So we have to be prepared for those things. We have to start thinking about how students learn, uh, not just where they learn and what high school we're associated with, because that's where teachers are going to be teaching. Uh, we have the ability to connect to our teachers anywhere in the world in real time right now. So a teacher can be anywhere. 
they don't necessarily have to be in that classroom. And so I think that paradigm's already changing. You're starting to see it shift. And I think the design of uh, the facilities for education will shift along with it. And so you know way more about this topic than I do. So what else do you think our listeners should know about it? Well, I think, you know, what they should know is we're on the cusp of a digital explosion. I mean, we would think that, you know, we all have iPhones in our hands and we carry around laptops and we're connected all day long every day like it's really happened. But you're talking about billions of new devices being connected. You know, you're, you're going to have opportunities to stay connected full time regularly that you're like, you know, from beginning to end of life of sorts. How do we manage that? How do you manage you know, privacy? How do you manage community? What does real um, social community look like with real humans when people are staring at their screens all day or have earbuds in their ear listening to podcasts and music when they should be talking to somebody? That, you know, technology is, is a tool. How do we manage that tool and use it effectively, but don't go so far with it that, we, uh, that it becomes a negative in, in our society? I think we're, we're right on the cusp of that as well. So we're on the cusp of this explosion, but we're on the cusp of the negative side of technology to where we're worshiping it. And we can't worship it. We have to use it as a tool and keep it in its proper perspective. Well, Lieutenant Governor Forrest, thanks so much for talking with me. Thank you, Alex. We've been talking with Lieutenant Governor Dan Forrest about EdTech technology in K-12 classrooms. And I'm Alex Granados, Senior Reporter for Education NC, and you've been listening to EdTalk. Thanks for listening. <laughs>